0: This is the Cigar Dave
1: Podcast
0: with The General.
1: Long-ass greetings and salutations. A long-ass snappy salute. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. It is your global five-star General Alpha Male and Chief, Cigar Dave and Alpha Dave. From Command Center Alpha in a classified location somewhere on the North American continent. And as always, the Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha. The world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Trenta, commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta is everything you'd expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction. Exquisite flavor. Exquisite pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. And by Davidoff of Geneva, introducing the new Avo Caribe. Experience the journey of flavor, created by a synchronized blend from the Caribbean, accentuated with a touch of cigar tobaccos from Central America. Head to the land where palm trees sway to the breeze of the sea with the new Avo Caribe, available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Well, I had the opportunity several weeks ago to visit many cigar manufacturers down in the South Florida region. When you look at the two meccas of cigar manufacturing, cigar headquarters, certainly you've got to be looking at Miami, South Florida, and the cigar city of Tampa. But Miami, South Florida, certainly a large mecca right now. So I had a chance to stop at uh, maybe about six to eight manufacturers. I talked to the folks over at Gurkha. And Placencia, Alec Bradley, Perdomo stopped at El Titan de Brands in Little Havana on Cayocho. Everybody telling me the exact same thing. Business is brisk. People want cigars. But like every other industry that is undergoing supply chain issues, same thing is happening with cigars. Now, the good news, it is not as bad as other industries. In fact, many of the manufacturers have caught up getting boxes, getting labels, getting bands, getting uh, cellophane, getting whatever they need. The biggest thing, though, is going to be raw materials. Cigar tobaccos. The good news is, as opposed to the cigar boom 25 years ago, 27 years ago, when everybody was caught off guard, they didn't realize the giant boom. Even though there was a cigar renaissance going on, they didn't really foresee that there would be such an explosion in the popularity of cigars. So at that time, they didn't have the tobacco. They didn't have the fermented-aged tobacco. The difference is today, all the manufacturers are sitting on, most all manufacturers are sitting on large inventories of proper, aged, fermented cigar tobaccos. In fact, when I was talking to Nick Perdomo, and Nick and I go way, way back. In fact, when Nick was just, I think the first time he came to visit the Cigar City of Tampa on my on the original show called Smoke This was in, I would say, in fall of 1995. And at the time, his entire cigar inventory consisted of one humidor with about 50 cigars. That's a true story. And our good mutual friend, Jack Bennington of Bennington Tobacco down in Longboat Key, Sarasota, introduced me to him, and he said, Nick is got this boutique cigar. We're carrying it, and uh, you should meet him. And we did, and Nick and I have been friends ever since, going back, geez, now about 27 years. But Nick and I, uh, and Arthur Kemper as VP, we spent a lot of time in Nick's office smoking some great cigars, smoking some new blends they're working on, and, and talking about what's going on. But a number of years ago, he invested in a very unique be, a bit of farm machinery that automates the entire cigar tobacco planting process. It, it was a very expensive piece of equipment that they can load on the back of a flatbed truck so he can take it to any of his farms. It has increased efficiency and yield in exponential numbers. So it takes the seed, plants the seed, gives it the right amount of water and nutrient and then and, ro- and, and you just keep going straight down in rows, and what they found is their yields are up about 35%. So I'll never forget, about 15 years ago, I'm in Nick's office, and his factory manager calls and said, look, we got the final harvest in. We are up 30% in yield. So next year, Nick, what I'll do is we'll just plant 30% less. And Nick said, no, 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 stop. I want you to plant even more next year. If we're getting 30%, more yield. Let's plant 30% more seedlings. The result, Nick is sitting on tremendous inventories of aged tobacco, many of the other manufacturers as well. So that is the good news. Demand is through the roof. Why? Everybody tells me when I see them, why is it that I can't get this cigar or I can't get my other favorite cigar? And I'm, I'm going into retailers and you're seeing that there are open boxes with no cigars, or in many cases, what a retailer will do When they are out of that particular cigar, they'll just close the box because they want to make sure that people understand they still will carry that cigar when it comes in, but just they are out of inventory right now. Why is that? Well, at the beginning of the Wuhan virus pandemic, when everybody was locked down, people were working from home, offices were closed. What happened? Why did cigar demand explode? Well, if you're working in an office that's non-smoking, all day, you don't have the time to smoke a cigar. But if you're working at home, you're working on your computer, if your job allows you to work from home, you're outside. And remember, when the Wuhan virus hit, initially it was starting right around the spring when the lockdown started, March, April. So in many parts of the country, the weather was warming. So people could work from home. Many cigar connoisseurs were working on their computer outside in their, in their the patio, on their, in their veranda, outside on their porch, or they were in their man cave. In some cases, they had a cigar lounge or a bar they were working from, and instead of smoking one, two cigars a week, now they could smoke one cigar a day. Some people, two cigars a day. So the demand increased. Now, talking to every cigar manufacturer, they said that they don't believe that demand will decrease, but they're seeing a leveling off. So we're seeing numbers now along the time of the initial cigar renaissance, the cigar boom back around 1996, 1997, 1998. And after that initial cigar renaissance, the number of people that smoke cigars remained pretty steady, but what happened was instead of being 450 million cigars, premium cigars a year imported in the United States, it started to decrease came down to 400 and 370 then around leveled right around 330 340 350 in that category in that in that range still far far greater than the number of cigars imported 5 years prior 10 years prior I remember Stanford Newman may he rest in peace the second generation family member that ran JC Newman cigars who told me there was a time when the only people smoked Cigars were old men. There weren't any young people that were coming in to sample cigars and enjoy cigars. And he said that changed. That changed right around 1995, 1996, 1997. Whereas before it was only old people smoking cigars, old men. Now all of a sudden you had college age students smoking cigars. Men in their 20s, 30s, women smoking cigars. And we still see that to this day. But all the manufacturers said we have, we're catching up. We see a leveling off of demand. So we're not seeing that exponential 30%. Pr- I've talked to some manufacturers that said they were up in, in from 2020. Uh, 2000, looking at 2020 compared to 2019, they were up like 40 50%. And then they said the following year, 2021 to 2020. So the year we're in now, they're seeing... 30% increases. They said that is starting to level now. A healthy cigar industry is great for everybody. Plenty of cigar tobacco inventory, aged tobacco, is healthy for every manufacturer. And the ability to get great cigars, aged cigars, is great for every consumer. Now, one uh, item I do want to get to, while I was at El Teton de Bronze visiting Sandy, who oversees LT Tonda Bronze. They're up to about a dozen rollers now, and they've expanded. They had one small little area, then they've expanded to a second, now a third. And so Sandy and I were smoking some various blends that she said, look, I, I always create these blends with some of my rollers, and we try to create different things. And so she gave me some to try, so I smoked several of them. And there was one in particular that I absolutely went crazy for, And she told me what the wrapper was, and I said, Sandy, I want to do the same blend, but I want to change the wrapper. I won't tell you what the wrapper I'm going to change it from and the wrapper I'm going to change it to because I want to try it first. But I said, Sandy, what I would like to do is how many of these cigars can you make? She said, General, very limited. She said, if I can make 5,000 cigars of these, that would be almost way more than I could probably even handle, but I could probably do... 5,000 cigars. 5,000 cigars, maybe 500 boxes of 10. But she said, I can't guarantee it. Probably 2,500 to 3,000, maybe 5,000. I said, Sandy, if this blend turns out the way I think it will, I'm going to buy them all. And we're going to sell them to our cigar connoisseurs and our alphas. Very, very limited. Now, everything coming out of Miami and El Titan de Bronze is super premium. You're talking $20, $25 cigars, but worth every single cent. But I told her, I will only purchase them if this wrapper that we're using, if it comes out the way I want it. Now, it's a nice medium-bodied cigar. It's not overly full. It's not mild. It's very flavorful. If you're a mild, medium, full-bodied connoisseur, everyone will like this. But I didn't want anything overly powerful, and I didn't want anything too light. If it comes out the way I think it will with this special wrapper, it is going to be an absolute five-star Cigar Dave, the general selection. And if that is the case, I'm buying, I told Sandy, I'll buy all 5,000 and I will keep probably about 500 for myself. I'm greedy. I'll only smoke a few of those a year. Maybe I'll smoke a dozen a year, 20 a year. It should last me, you know, hopefully 10 years. Maybe longer. But the other ones, we will sell to our cigar alphas and our cigar connoisseurs. So be on the lookout for that. It's probably going to be midsummer till we know. actually, we're we're Sandy told me uh, earlier this week that she rolled them. They are aging, and that she wants them at least in the aging room sixty days before she sends them to me to sample. We'll see how they turn out. I think they're going to be fantastic. But if they are, only if they are, we'll let you know and you will be able to participate in those fantastic cigars. Now, speaking of a place to enjoy cigars, in St. Louis, Missouri, the heartland of America. What was the name of that Broadway play, Meet Me in St. Louis? A newly reopened cigar club that evokes the old speakeasy type of look from the 1920s has opened in at the Ritz-Carlton in St. Louis, specifically in the suburb of Clayton. And when I remember visiting St. Louis many, many years ago, there was an old hotel called the Chase Park Plaza Hotel. Very well-known hotel. I don't even know if it's still open, but it was one of those grand old hotels from like the 1930s, 1940s. And I was there easily 30 years ago, maybe longer. But I remember that they had a great, steak restaurant right in the Chase Park Plaza Hotel. And when you were done, we could light up cigars right at the table. And I remember having a big, juicy ribeye steak with very good friend, Charlie Ekman, the only man in history to both coach in an NBA championship series and referee in an NBA championship series. Quite the character. Charlie loved his scotch, and he loved his cigars. And I remember after that big, bone-in ribeye, Charlie looked at me and he said, Kid, time for us to enjoy a little after Drinner cocktail and a cigar. Now, at the time, I don't think we were smoking $20 cigars. I think these were probably more along the lines, I think a premium hand rolled cigar back then was like two bucks. But we lit those cigars and we were living life large at the time. But when you look, I'm, I've seen pictures on the site at the Ritz Carlton. Site and looking at pictures of this new cigar lounge is incredible. I mean, they spent big, big money. Now, it is called the Cigar Club at the Ritz-Carlton. It is a private bar and lounge designed for guests who smoke cigars. They have incredible spirits. It took two years of renovation, headed by a very well-known restaurant design group called the Johnson Studio at Cooper Carey based in Atlanta. I've seen many uh, many of their projects, their work portfolio, incredible. And I will tell you that this particular lounge fits the bill of what I would consider to be worthy of being in a Ritz-Carlton, a five-star hotel, five-star hotel chain, a five-star cigar bar and lounge. In fact, in September, the studio... The Johnson Studio at Cooper Carey won the 2021 Hospitality Design Award for the bar and lounge design, which speaks volumes. This is you're being judged by your peers. And so when this goes in front of other interior designers and space planners, this thing wins. That is absolutely huge. So th- it was a major renovation. They wanted to do something very unique, very special. The Cigar Club, when you look at it, has that old speakeasy type look: the dark wood paneling, the dim lighting, the leather chairs, some great artwork on the walls that share some old cigar bands, cigar labels. They've got a smoking jacket on a mannequin that just has this evokes this this traditional class type of, of, of feeling when you look at it. And, of course, fantastic spirits. And when you think about the Ritz-Carlton, I don't care if just walking into the lobby, if you've never stayed at a Ritz-Carlton, walk into the lobby. The second you walk into the lobby, it evokes class. It evokes, to me, that connotation of five-star, of super luxury, elegant service, just elegance all the way around. So this new cigar bar at the Ritz-Carlton certainly exemplifies luxury, top-shelf luxury, top-shelf service. And so for those of you that travel to St. Louis, if you have the opportunity to check out the Ritz-Carlton Cigar Club, it is located at 100 Delette Plaza in St. Louis, specifically in the Clayton area, subsection of St. Louis. Check it out. The pictures, unbelievable. Coffered ceiling, dark, just nice lighting, cigar lockers, leather chairs. You walk in, you want to smoke a cigar, you want to have great cocktails, you want to have your harem, and you want to stay there for hours. It's not the kind of place where you say, I'm going to come in, just grab a quick drink and a cigar, and I'm leaving. No, 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 no. This is the kind of place where you want to go after dinner. You go to an early dinner, get there around 8 o'clock, and you're staying till at least 11, maybe midnight, enjoying great cigars, great libations, hot dames, and, of course, tremendous conversation and camaraderie. That's what it is all about. And by the way, you don't need to go to a Ritz-Carlton cigar club to do that. You can do that at home. I know many people that have said, Hey, look, I've created a man cave or a cigar space in my home. It doesn't have to be big. doesn't have to be overly fancy. But it's a place where you can go in. And you feel it's your little cocoon, if you will, where it's your alpha cocoon loaded with everything that exudes alphaness, cigars and spirits, big screen TV to watch your favorite sports. If you want to have a pole there for your harem to entertain you? Hey, be my guest. There's no right, there's no wrong when it comes to creating your own man cave. Now, I have always stated that we have to be on alert for the enemies of pleasure. The first time I believe I ever spoke about the Pleasure Police was around 1998. Now, the first three years that I was the presenter of this show, the term Pleasure Police never came up. You could smoke in restaurants. You could smoke in bars. You could smoke outside. You could smoke on golf courses. There wasn't excessive taxation. We didn't have these enemies of pleasure breathing down our throats, trying to take away our pleasure at every turn. And the first time I remember speaking about the Pleasure Police was around 1998 when in California there was a proposal to eliminate smoking in indoor facilities, indoor buildings, including restaurants. And I said, we've got to be very careful. Because when you let a cockroach into your home, you let one in, the next thing you know you're going to have five. Then you're going to have ten. Then you're going to have a hundred. The key is... Never let the cockroach in the house. You open the door a little bit, they'll break it down. And that's exactly what the enemies of pleasure did. Everyone said at the time, well, don't worry about it. It's only in restaurants. And what do the restaurants do? They all spent and invested money in creating very comfortable, covered, outdoor dining areas where you could smoke your cigars. And everybody was happy. Consumers were happy, the pleasure police seemed to be happy, everybody was doing just fine. In fact, I'll never forget, I uh, was traveling in California, before it really became the People's Republic of California. I'm staying at the uh, Hyatt Hotel in Aviara. I was there for a Super Bowl for a big golf tournament, and there was a great group of restaurants. There was, I think, a, a Japanese sushi restaurant right across the way. I mean, literally 20 feet away. It's in the same complex as the Hyatt in La Jolla. And then there was this Italian restaurant. So one day I go to have Italian. It was lunch. And I figured I'll have a salad, whatever. And I see they've got an outdoor smoking area. And I said, as I walked in, I said, oh, is that outdoor patio cigar friendly? They said, absolutely is. Please help yourself. So, of course, I ordered my nice salad. And whatever I had at the time, and I lit up a cigar. And about, I don't know, five minutes after I lit up the cigar, a guy comes out, and, you know, he's wearing the chef, all the chef outfit and everything, and he said, you know, I had to come out, come out of the kitchen because I saw you light up that cigar, and I just, right now, I can't wait to light one up. And I said, well, you don't have to wait. I got plenty of them, and I, of course, I opened up, I had my, uh, my, my cigar pouch. I said, here, go ahead. Have a few cigars or have them for later. So we started talking. And next thing you know, I became friendly with him. And we started talking. I said, uh, you know, I host this show called The Cigar Dave Show, all about cigars and the alpha male lifestyle. He's originally from Brooklyn. And I tell him I'm from Buffalo. And we hit it off. I live in Tampa. The next thing I know, he says, you know, I'll be right back. Comes back a minute later. He said, I told my sous chef he's got everything taken care of. We're winding lunch down. I'm going to join you. Great. Next thing I know, about two hours later, after about uh, several nice cocktails, and he says, look, I got something I want you to try. We got to sample this. And then he tells the guy in the kitchen, hey, I'm working on this dish. Let me know what you think. I was there for about three hours. Felt like I was there for five minutes. And we're enjoying cigars. And he says, listen. I'm thrilled that at least I could build this patio. I had to go to my landlord here. They were very accommodating. We've got a nice area here. There's about a dozen tables. And he said, I'll tell you, I get no blowback whatsoever from any of my patrons that want to sit outside. We tell them, hey, it's cigar friendly. So people who light up cigars. They're like, yeah, no problem. That's fine. Everybody has no issue with it. He said, we're doing great. Our cigar connoisseurs are happy. This has given me an additional 12 tables. Everything's working out. And I stayed in touch with him. Great guy. And in fact, every time I would visit San Diego, I'd go there. You know, we'd we'd smoke cigars. He'd bring. I wouldn't even order. He wouldn't even let me look at the menu. He'd just say, "I've got this coming and this coming." And I'd say, "Yeah, but I'm in the movie." No, no, no. It's coming. Just just shut up. Enjoy your enjoy your cocktail. Have a cigar. It's all coming. And the next thing you know, there's like eight dishes coming. Great guy. Well, what happened? A few years later, the enemies of pleasure went after restaurateurs that took the time to invest, and the capital, to invest in an area where their patrons could dine outside and smoke a cigar. The enemies of pleasure said, well, because the smoking ban worked so well inside, now we're going to extend it to those patios outside. And I remember saying to myself, wait a minute. All they wanted initially was no smoking inside a building, inside a restaurant. The restaurateurs complied. They invested capital to, for nice outdoor areas that, by the way, they were covered, but there was no walls around it, so it was technically open outside. That wasn't good enough for the enemies of pleasure. So they enacted a further ban, whereby smoking not allowed in dining areas, bars outside. But that wasn't enough. Then they went after smoking cigars on sidewalks and on golf courses, public property, and on the beach. Never ends. They're never happy. You let one cockroach in the door, next thing you know, you're going to have a thousand of them. And the enemies of pleasure are cockroaches. They're the lowest form of life next to Democrats on the planet. They're so miserable in their own lives, the only way they derive any form of pleasure is to make your life miserable. That's what they do. That's exactly what their goal is, their mission in life. They want to make your life miserable. And they do. And it's not just cigars. They're going after our spirits. They're going after our steaks. They're going after grill. They're going after everything they deem inappropriate. Well, who the hell elected them? Who the hell told them they have the right to inflict upon my freedom? Nobody. And I've always said you better be careful because the more you let in, the more they're gonna want to crash down those doors. And here's the latest example. Oh, the latest example, wait a minute before I even get to this. What did I say starting several years ago? The smoking age was 18. Now remember, you can serve your country. You can die in battle, lose life and limb at 18. But yet you can't fire up a cigar at 18. Then they raised it to 19 and now 21. Now think about this. You have to be 21 to have a drink. 21 now to purchase tobacco, including a cigar, Yet, you only have to be 18 to say, I want to die for my country. There is something very, very wrong with that picture. Now, these are the same people that are saying, oh, we we need to raise the smoking age to 21 because kids are not smart enough at 18 to make their own decisions. We need to make sure that we guide them so that they don't pick up the habit of smoking, forget, just a cigar or anything. Yet, these are the same people that are saying, we need to lower the voting age to 16 because Kids are smart enough at 16 to make their decisions on an elected official. Let me get this straight. At 18, a person is not wise enough to determine whether they want to smoke a cigar or not. Yet at 16, they're wise enough to cast a vote. You can't have it both ways. Sorry. To me, I think the drinking age should be 18 and the smoking age should be 18. And you want to know how you eliminate problems with alcohol in youth? You introduce youth to alcohol at a young age. In Europe, kids are introduced to wine five years old. Have a sip of wine. When I was a little kid, have a sip of wine. Just a little sip. When I was five, I never abused alcohol. My parents. My. We still have booze for my bar mitzvah in my in 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 the home I grew up in. My parents never locked the liquor cabinet. And it's, it was wide open. Did I ever go in and say, hey, let me grab a bottle of that vodka? Never. Why? Because I, was gr- I grew up with it. Yet I can tell you stories of kids that were in college that I knew, whose parents, you know, they told me, our parents locked the liquor cabinet. They never let us have anything. It was pro total prohibition. They got to college, and at that time, the age, drinking age was 18. They drank themselves to the point where they were failing out of class and failing out of college. Why? Because they went from one extreme to the other. It's like kids I know whose parents say, oh, you can't have candy, everything's got to be organic, you can't do this. Then when they're alone, they go crazy. It's like you put a bowl of candy, and I remember, I think it was 2020, the ABC sh- uh, News magazine that did this, they put a bowl of candy on a table. Kids that were, I think, I don't know, 7, eight, nine, 10 years old, They had one group whose parents said, hey, you want candy? Go ahead, you can have candy. And other parents who forbade their kids eating any candy. It wasn't in the house. They wouldn't buy it for them. So what happens? They put about eight kids in a room, big bowl of candy. The kids who grew up with their parents saying, okay, you can have candy. We'll buy a chocolate. We'll buy a candy. They barely even looked. In fact, they looked at it and walked away. The kids whose parents... Enacted prohibition on their children having chocolate or candies. As soon as they saw that big wide open bowl, they went to town nonstop. They went crazy. Prohibition doesn't work. The enemies of pleasure think by prohibiting things, you're going to discourage people from sampling it, whether it's booze, whether it's cigarettes, cigars, whatever. Now, I never smoked cigarettes, had zero interest. My grandfather smoked cigars, loved the aroma of cigars. And when I became old enough, enjoyed cigars. To this day, I enjoy cigars. I don't abuse cigars. I don't smoke 10 cigars a week. I don't have time. And even if I did, I wouldn't smoke 10 cigars a week. Today, during litation, is the first cigar that I will have enjoyed since earlier this week. So this week, I'll probably have two total cigars. And I've always said, you better be careful, because we'll start to see the enemies of pleasure encroach. And it gets bad. And when they start encroaching, it will never end. And they're always coming up with cockamamie ideas. And the latest cockamamie idea comes to us from New Zealand. New Zealand is only a country of 5 million people. But boy, talk about prohibitionists right now. Their prime minister, their female prime minister, has everything locked down. It is absurd what's taking place in New Zealand. Do you know that the country of New Zealand is not even the size of Tampa and Orlando. It's much smaller than Tampa and Orlando combined. I mean, I think Tampa now is what, about 3 million people? So we're talking if you take Tampa and Orlando, they're now larger than New Zealand with less landmass. So certainly not a heavy populated country. However, what the enemies of pleasure are spewing there may very well start traveling overseas to other countries and spread, including to countries such as the United States of America. New Zealand is introducing laws that will ban young people from ever being able to buy cigarettes. Now, that will extend to cigars, you can be sure, any tobacco products. So what will happen is People that are age 14, when the law comes into effect, will be banned from purchasing cigarettes, not until they're 18 or 21, but forever. While the level of nicotine in cigarettes available to adults will be reduced over time. The number of retailers allowed to sell cigarettes and tobacco would also be dramatically cut. Now, currently in New Zealand, they require plain packaging. If you buy a box of cigars... All you see is a plain paper box. There's no artwork, there's no design, just massive warning labels. Huge taxes on cigarettes and tobacco. And the government says more is needed. New Zealand Associate Minister of Health, Aisha Varal, said smoking is the leading cause of preventable death in New Zealand, so therefore, this new law must be Enacted. We want to make sure young people never start smoking, so we'll make it an offense to sell or supply smoked tobacco products to new cohorts of youth. Let me explain this one more time. This law, let's look at it towards cigars. If you are age 14 right now or younger, you would never be able to legally purchase a cigar. You would never be able to legally be Gifted a cigar or given a cigar, it would be permanent prohibition on any person now 14 or under. So if somebody today is 13, when they turn 18 or 21, whatever the legal smoking age in New Zealand is, they would not be allowed to purchase that tobacco product. It would be a lifetime prohibition. I'm sorry. The enemies of pleasure have gone way too far and are going too far. And, of course, the enemies of pleasure say, well, more people, less people are smoking cigarettes. We need to do more, faster to reach our goal. Now, they'll tell you that excise taxes have had a great effect. Now, what happens if everyone tomorrow in New Zealand, the United States, or anywhere around the world says we're going to stop smoking completely, whether it's cigars, cigarettes, vape, whatever, pipes, you know what would happen to the budgets of countries around the world and states, municipalities? All those excise taxes gone. Now, the enemies of pleasure say, well, that's our goal. We, 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 we want to eliminate smoking. Well, what happens all of a sudden when there's no more of that excise tax revenue? Where are they going to go after it? They're going to go after those of you that enjoy drinking sugared drinks, caffeinated drinks, alcohol spirits. They'll start taxing cheeseburgers and wings Mark my words, if you think they're going to stop at excise taxes just for tobacco and cigars, you better think again. The measures would make New Zealand's tobacco laws the, most t- the world's toughest, just behind Bhutan, where cigarette sales are completely banned, and I would assume cigar sales as well. Now, the legislation in New Zealand is going to be introduced to Parliament in June with the goal of making it to law by the end of 2022. Now, if you don't think that the enemies of pleasure, the pleasure Nazis, are looking to New Zealand and will say, hey, they enacted it there, let's try it here. Mark my words, it's coming. My fellow cigar connoisseurs, my fellow alphas, it is coming and we must be ready. The Cigar Rights of America must be ready. The Cigar Association of America must be ready. And most importantly, you as a cigar connoisseur, must be prepared and ready to protest, to fight against what will hap- surely come to the shores of the United States. Think about this. Your 14-year-old son, maybe one day you want to have cigars with him, have a cocktail. If this were enacted in the United States, never could that happen. And if you gave him a cigar, you would be violating the law. And I'm sure they'd say, "Oh, it's punishable up to $10,000 and a year in prison." Sure, let the murderers out, let the rapists out, let the violent criminals. But heaven forbid you give your son a cigar under this new legislation—one year in the in the in the If you don't think it's coming this way, you better think again. I'm forewarning you. December 11th, 2021. Mark my words. When it gets passed in New England or or in New Zealand, the enemies of pleasure will propose that here in the United States. It's going to happen. Not a matter of if, just a matter of when. We are forewarned. We must be prepared. We must not allow that right, our right to enjoy a fine cigar, to be ever taken away from us. And I'll tell you another right that will never be taken away from us, and that is the right to absolutely enjoy and spread the cigar gospel and enjoyment by conducting the International Cigar Litation and Litation Ceremony. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta, celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great, blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today you will enjoy the experience and the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha 30.
0: With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers.
1: During my visits down to South Florida, I stopped to see Jim Colucci at Gurkha Cigars and the entire team over at Gurkha. Now, last summer, at the Premium Cigar Association trade show, they introduced a new line of cigars called the Gurkha Revenant. Revenant is a creature that returns from the dead to the living realm to take revenge on those who wronged them in their previous life. And so, the Gurkha Revenant, kind of a cool name, was launched, introduced, I should say, Last summer, last July. Started shipping in September, October. Comes in two different lines, both manufactured at Tabacalera El Arista in República Dominicana. There's the Revenant Corojo and the Revenant Maduro. Now, I've selected the Maduro, but let me tell you about the Revenant Corojo first. Because I've sampled both of them, and they're both fantastic. Corojo wrapper over Cameroon binder. And fillers from Nicaragua, Dominican, and Broadleaf. Meanwhile, the Revenant Maduro uses a Mexican San Andrean Maduro wrapper from the Torrens. We love that wrapper. And I'm looking at this cigar. It's square-pressed, beautiful, dark, shiny, oily wrapper. Mm. Sweet. I could just eat this cigar. Now, interestingly, the... Binder is Cameroon with fillers from Nicaragua. They use a Dominican T13 hybrid, which is a cross between a Dominican Criollo 98 and Piloto Cubano, and they also use some broadleaf, so you get a little bit of sweetness. Two sizes, a 5x50 Robusto and a 6x54 Toro, which I have just pulled out. Suggested retail, $725 for the Robusto, $750 for the Toro. Great price, great-looking cigar great packaging. But it's very interesting because initially Ram Rodriguez, who was the man behind the El Artista factory, Tabacalar El Artista in the Dominican Republic, went to Jim Colucci and said, I want to maybe incorporate some Cameroon. And Jim said, look, the problem with Cameroon it's tough to get and the yield on it's terrible and if we use it for a wrapper it's just going to be we're going to price it way out of what we want to do. And so Ram said, wait a minute, let's see if we... I want to experiment with it, whether it's in the filler, whether it's in the binder, let's see what happens. Well, sure enough, they came up with the Maduro blend. Absolutely magnificent. Phenomenal. Again, dark chocolate. It almost looks like a dark chocolate wrapper. Really hard square press, which is what I like. Almost a rectangular press. Feels great in the hand. Almost feels like a wafer. But a beautiful-looking cigar... Great aroma. The Gurkha Revenant Maduro now available. That's what I will enjoy today.
0: Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. All right,
1: self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action.
0: Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus.
1: Ah, uh, you can listen to that flame. Now, this is looks like a Bunsen burner. I picked this up when I was at Alec Bradley. They import and, uh, and distribute these very unique-looking litation devices. They look like a Bunsen burner. You, there's a little mechanism, almost like a little rod that you turn, and then you press the button. And again, if you're ever in a bind and you need to like grill hot dogs or something, honest to God, you could seriously just put a hot dog or a piece of meat on top of this thing, and it would cook it very unique way to light these cigar I think these things are about 50 60 bucks something like that holds a ton of butane so I said I'm out you know guys one of them's not working anymore I've had it forever need a couple of more They a general no problem and so I'm well stocked and I'm gonna use this from Alec Bradley I don't even remember what the official name of this is I call it the Bunsen burner but if you go to your retailer and say hey I'm looking for that Alec Bradley distributed unique litation device that looks like a Bunsen burner they'll know what you're ta- what I'm talking about and what you're talking about so that's what I'll use today.
0: Cigar Cigar
1: pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected.
0: Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two,
1: one. Perfect cut. Let me go ahead and toast the foot of this cigar. Here comes the lightation of the Bunsen burner. Big flame. And again, I am not placing the cigar directly into the flame. I'm allowing heat to cause combustion. So I'm gonna toast the foot of the cigar, and the first thing I want is the wrapper, the outer wrapper, to be heated first because we want the wrapper to burn just ahead of the filler. Toasting it gently. Again, we don't want to scorch the cigar. We want to toast it. We don't want to stick that cigar right in that massive flame. Hold it at about a 45 degree angle, and I'm just turning it. Excellent, and now I'm going to puff and rotate. Mmm, great draw. Mmm. Getting a dark chocolatey espresso note right off the the bat. Beautiful. Mm. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Taking our time. Mmm. Now, let me blow on the foot of this cigar. Perfect. Even amber glow. The one thing about this Alec Bradley Bunsen burner kind of (laughs) lighter, excuse me, it lights your cigars perfectly right from the get-go. You don't have to spend, you know, oodles and oodles of time uh, to light a cigar. It does a great job because it's got a big, massive, wide flame. So let me take several puffs of my Gurkha Revenant Maduro. Seven and a half bucks. Great price. Mmm. Smooth. Mmm. Big winner. No doubt about it. I need a special accompaniment to this Gurkha Revenant Maduro. I have just the accompaniment. And there's a very good reason. Scotch,
0: bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers.
1: Well, this week marked two birthdays of the Rat Pack. And we think about the Rat Pack. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. I mean that, baby. I mean it. Sammy, baby. Sammy was great. All three guys were great. Sammy Davis, Wednesday, would have been 96. And tomorrow, the chairman of the board. Frank Sinatra, Francis Albert Sinatra, would be 106. So to celebrate his birthday, we are going to enjoy his favorite spirit, Jack Daniels, number seven, Tennessee whiskey. Let me tell you the story about how Frank Sinatra came to be a big Jack Daniels admirer. Jack Daniels in 1947 was not a big spirit. It was primarily in the South. Nobody knew Jack Daniels. wasn't really known across the country, certainly not across the world. But one of the sales reps for Jack Daniels gave Frank a bottle of Jack Old Number 7. And the rep was Italian. And, of course, he and Frank hit it off. That was in 1947, his first sip of Old Number 7. At the time, he called Jack Daniels the nectar of the gods. And after that, that's all you would see Frank Sinatra with the nectar of the gods, Jack Daniels, J.D. In fact, in every one of his contracts. You know, it's interesting. You go back at some of the contracts of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, uh, Don Rickles, you know, the entertainers back in the day of what they wanted in their dressing room. It was pretty simple. Frank Sinatra had, I think, several bottles of water, a, a, an outbound dial telephone because there were no cell phones at the time, three hand towels, I think a hanger for his... uh, Several hangers for his, you know, jackets. And then a bottle of Jack Daniels, a bucket of ice, four glasses. That's it. Today, you see, there's 20 pages. I got to have M&Ms, but only green M&Ms. No yellow M&Ms. I got to have the peanut M&Ms. Can't have the regular M&Ms. The riders you see in these contracts are absurd. Back then, they knew what they wanted. Life was very simple. Now, today, to honor Frank Sinatra, I'm going to raise a glass to him, but I'm going to do so with what I call the Frank's Way libation because Frank Sinatra had a very specific way that he enjoyed his Jack. Three rocks, two fingers of Jack Daniels, and a splash of water. He called it the 3-2-1. All right, so here we go. We're going to have three rocks. I have my Cigar Dave, Smoke on the Water 3, cocktail glass, from uh, when we did the Smoke on the Water at Pleasure Fest. I think that was... God, that's going back... What do you think, Sergeant Steve? Was that like 10 years ago, something like that?
0: Something like that, yeah. Yeah, going
1: way back. Hard to believe. I've lost track of the time on that. So one, two, three. All right. Now I've got the jack. Now remember, when we say two fingers, you don't stick your fingers into the bottle. No. Two fingers so that essentially you put enough jack so it covers kind of like the top half of your two fingers. So here we go. I'm not gonna stick my fingers in there, but I'm gonna do it on the outside of the glass. There we go. Tighten that up. Okay, so i got three fingers and now I need just a splash of water. Here it comes. Here it comes. That's it. Now, I'm gonna take my two fingers and mix it. My grandfather used to do that. Two fingers, and then when you're done, You lick your fingers, and you got the taste of your libation. Nothing goes to waste. So I'll swirl that around. I'll say cheers to Frank on what would have been his 106th birthday to the entire Rat Pack and to all of you. Mm. Mm. There we go. Now we'll take the sip. I've got to tell you, there's something about three rocks, three ice cubes. I don't know what it is. But you know what? I'd always drink it neat. Three rocks now. Take another sip. Mmm. Oh, is that ever good? Now I need the puff of my Gurkha Revenant. Mmm. Mmm. Outstanding. All right. My Gurkha Revenant Maduro is lit. My Jack Daniels Frank Sway Libation is poured and enjoyed, the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony has officially ended, but the good news is we're going to have loads more time to enjoy this fantastic cigar and this spirit. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium bodied cigar with subtle sweetness, resembling Tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. This week, Hillary Clinton appeared, correction, Felon Hillary Clinton appeared on The Today Show. There's a website called Masterclass where if you want to learn about grilling or you want to learn, different subjects, you can do so. Well, Hillary Clinton, this is hysterical. She is teaching a class on life, living a life of meaning and purpose. I think she forgot to include life of meaning, purpose, and fraud. I think she forgot that fraud part. So she was on the Today Show, and the Today Show released a little clip, and Masterclass.com released some clips of her supposed victory speech that she would have read and has never read out loud in public on on election night 2016. You remember they had, I think it was the Jacob Javits Center, and they had that glass ceiling, and they were going to have fireworks. They had the map of the United States as the stage. They thought she was going to be a shoo-in. She was going to win because, as we know, the Democrats are experts at fraudulent election, at rigging elections. So she figured, hey, we got it rigged, we got it covered, no worries. Well, even back then, they couldn't rig it enough. Donald Trump won. It was beautiful, and I'll never forget when one of the Hillary Clinton top campaign people had to go up and it's like one in the morning and said, "Well, look, we we there's still a lot uh, a lot of votes. We we appreciate you coming out. We still have to to check out all the votes and so on and so." forth, Came up with some cockamamie excuse because she didn't want to come out couldn't come out because she was so distraught that she lost. And you'll recall like a week before, a week or two before it was her birthday, and she tweets out a picture of her when she was, I don't know, maybe 13 years old saying, happy birthday to the next president of the United States, or the next president and first female president of the United States. Thought she had it in the bag. Talk about an absolute embarrassment. She couldn't even come out that night because she didn't know what hit her. I want you to listen to this speech, because she gets all emotional. Now, I could listen to this over and over, hearing the misery in her voice, hearing the despondence, hearing the depression. Nothing gives me more pleasure than to see Democrats that are miserable, unhappy, depressed, and Hillary Clinton, felon Hillary, fits the bill. Hit it.
2: I think about my mother every day. Sometimes I think about her on that train I wish I could walk down the aisle. I do too.
1: So emotional for me.
2: I wish I could walk down the aisle and find the little wooden seats where she sat, (sighs) holding tight to her even younger sister, alone, terrified. (laughs) She doesn't yet know how much she will suffer. Terrible. She doesn't yet know she will find the strength to escape that suffering. That is still a long way off. Oh, no. The whole future is still unknown. <sighs> and she stares out at the vast country moving past so best. her. So vast. I dream of going up to her and sitting down next to her, taking her in my arms and saying, look at me listen to me you will survive yes you will have a good family of your own and three children and as hard as it might be to imagine your daughter will grow up and become the president of the united states that didn't happen (laughs) i am as sure of this as anything i have ever known
1: not so fast, fellow. America
2: Hillary. is the greatest country in the world.
1: Yes, because we didn't elect you.
2: And from tonight going forward, together, we will make America even greater than it has ever been.
1: With for Donald each Trump
2: and every one of us. Thank you. God bless you, and may God bless America.
1: Oh, I'm so depressed listening to Felon Hillary because she should have been the president of the United States and it was stolen from her. I could listen to that all freaking day. Listen to her cry and be emotional and have a nervous mental breakdown during her master class. It is such so, so beautiful to see a Democrat, especially Hillary Clinton, be so miserable and depressed. It's just it's it's a beautiful thing. In fact, <laughs> I say, I'll raise a glass to that. Let's say cheers. Cheers to the misery of all the Democrats and felon Hillary. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. The mere fact that she would come out with this bullshit speech afterwards, five years later, is just, again, it's all about Hillary Clinton. It's never about anybody else. It's all about her. She didn't give a shit about this country. She didn't give a shit about you or me. She didn't give a shit about keeping jobs in the United States. She didn't give a rat's ass about outsourcing our jobs. She cared about one thing, blatant power to say, I am the President of the United States. I'm entitled to it. Just like she thought she was entitled to be this New York State Senator. She was a carpetbagger. But New York State, overwhelmingly Democrat? You could have, a Democrat, let me tell you something. If Attila the Hun was a Democrat... Attila the Hun would have won the Senate seat in New York State back at the time. And everybody in the Senate, oh, she's the smartest person I've ever worked with. Oh, Hillary, just so wonderful. And all the Republicans just got on their knees and filleted her to no end. Please, she's a fraud. Everybody's known she's a fraud. And you look at the Hillary or the, the Clinton Foundation, it's all about lining their pockets. They don't give a damn about you. They don't give a damn about this country. They give a damn about themselves. And the ugly daughter. Chelsea, actually I had a girlfriend that had a dog named Chelsea. The dog was actually better looking than this Chelsea, Chelsea Clinton. She's 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 grifting the same way that her parents. It never ends. The last thing this country needs is another Clinton and another Bush in elected office. Ever again. But what joy, how pleasurable was it to hear her cry and oh boo-hoo. beautiful thing, to hear Hillary Clinton five years later still not being able to get over that huge resounding defeat to a candidate who was never a politician before, who was outspent massively by the Clinton and Democrat machine, who by the way will go down in my estimation as one of the three great presidents in the United States, Donald J. Trump. Now I'm not happy about Trump this week endorsing David Perdue in the the Republican primary uh, against Governor Kemp. David Perdue is a scumbag. He is a rhino. He didn't stand by Trump or try to get any answers in the fraudulent election and the election shenanigans that took place in Georgia. Vernon Jones who is a former Democrat-turned-Republican, stood by the President, has said the problems with the Georgia election need to be addressed, and who has been steadfast as being an America-first MAGA candidate. Oh, by the way, he's also black. And I think it's great that we have more diversity in the party. I always talk about diversity. That's wonderful. But President Trump has made the mistake numerous times. He brought in lousy people that weren't loyal to him during his his first term. He made umpteen mistakes trusting people that were scumbags, that were lecherous swamp rats. And he's making the same damn mistake with David Perdue. Perdue is a scumbag. Take a look at his record. Take a look at the money he made trading very, very sinisterly, in my estimation, while he was a senator. And take a look when he was president of, I think it was Dollar General and several other companies. David Perdue is not what the Georgia Republicans need. Vernon Jones has my absolute unqualified endorsement. Trump may have screwed up on it, but not this five-star. And talking about politicians and former senators, there's a current senator, Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. By the way, Got to give Mississippi a round of applause. They're no longer 50th in education. They have just risen past Arkansas. They're now 49th, and they're all celebrating. But Roger Wicker is the ranking member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, very powerful committee, oversees the military. Now, we're hearing about Russia putting 175,000 troops on the border with Ukraine. And by the way, President Trump was the president that wanted to sell and did sell, I believe, arms to Ukraine so they could defend themselves. Ukraine's not a member of NATO. President Trump also went after NATO, especially the deadbeat countries like Germany, several other countries that have not paid their agreed upon 2% of GDP in defense spending. They have not maintained their share. Germans are the biggest deadbeats. I see Angela Merkel, that's Nazi is after 16 years, she's gone. And as far as I'm concerned, all the Germans over in Germany are Nazis. That's my opinion of them. That's that's my absolute blatant opinion. I'd never buy a German car. You can tell me all you want about Merkel. They're all a bunch of Nazi bastards. And proof is in the pudding. They haven't put in their fair share of 2% of GDP, which, by the way, that is a contractually agreed-upon amount. President Trump didn't just pull that out of his ass. That is by contract. Numerous countries are are, including Poland, are spending two percent. The Germans, screw those bastards. And who are they buying their oil from now with Nord Stream two? Oh, Russia. The very country that NATO is set up to defend themselves, to, to defend Germany and all these other European countries from. Germany goes out and buys all their natural gas and their oil from Russia. Great move. And Biden allowed it. Trump was against the Nord Stream two pipeline. Biden, jerk. Now all of a sudden he's saying, well. Russia could invade Ukraine. Germany, don't don't, don't finish that, U, that, that Nord Stream 2 pipeline now. No, no, don't do it now. The Biden administration, the brainless Biden administration, are so feckless and so clueless. And so are the Republicans, these warmongers. Joni Ernst, as well as Roger Wicker, they all want to divert attention from the pathetic performance, horrific performance of Biden. So what is Wicker's solution? What does he want to do when it comes to Ukraine? Well, take a listen. He was on Neil Cavuto's show on Fox News earlier this week.
2: Well, military action uh, could mean uh, that that we stand off with our ships in the Black Sea and and we rain destruction. On, uh, on, mil- on on Russian military capability, it could mean that it could mean that we participate, and I would not rule that out. I would not rule out American troops on the ground. We don't. Do you know we don't rule out uh, first use nuclear um, action?
1: Is this guy whacked? American troops on the ground in Ukraine against Russia? I don't think so. First strike, nuclear capability against Russia? I don't think so. Are you kidding me? Ukraine needs to fight for themselves. And oh, by the way, all those European countries that are so concerned, Ukraine's in their backyard. Let them step up, not the United States of America. Doesn't affect me, doesn't affect you. And the reality is this would never take place if President Trump were sitting in the Oval Office today. Under Biden, who's weak? Biden uh, or uh, uh, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, they're testing Biden left and right. They know he's a feckless, weak beta. Trump, they wouldn't go near that border. And if you think we're going to send our men and women to the border in Ukraine to fight, to lose life and limb, think again. Screw these warmongers. Roger Wicker, get that son of a bitch out of office. I don't give a damn if he's a Republican or not. Any Any Republican or any Democrat or any member of Congress that encourages us to send American troops to Ukraine to fight, call him a cab for a one-way ticket out of town, out of the country, out of the universe. Joy Behar. Now, first of all, to me, the mere fact that she's named Joy, that is deceptive advertising. Her name should be Misery or Miserable uh, Behar because she is such a miserable person. At every turn, goes after Trump. Goes after any Republican. But Democrats, oh, they're all wonderful. Now, Biden is feckless. The Democrats are turning on him. Independents uh, have turned on him. Republicans forget. But I just saw amongst independents, Biden now has, I think, a 28% approval rate. He is so far underwater. He's toast. He's finished. And so what does misery Behar blame? The media. Take a listen.
2: People are not picking up on the good stuff. I believe that that's because the media is not portraying him
0: as a winner.
1: The media's job is not to portray him as a winner or loser. It's to report the facts, which they don't do. And by the way, the reason the media doesn't portray Biden as a winner is because he is a loser. He's losing at the border. He's losing on inflation. He's losing the economy. He's losing in in crime. Every single aspect of American life has gotten worse under brainless Biden. He's feckless. He's mentally incapacitated. But yet it's the media, and by the way, we all know that the Libstream media props him up 24-7. But even they can't hide the fact that he is feckless, he is clueless, and that his numbers are in the tank. It's amazing. I didn't hear Joy Behar saying, geez, when all those uh, great uh, uh, economic numbers came out, why didn't the, the Libstream media call President Trump a winner? Because everywhere we looked, the economy was booming. Everything was humming along. Another fraud. Another phony. Speaking of phonies, lastly, finally, on this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, Santa, uh, or, uh, uh, Santa Marin who is the Prime Minister of Finland. She's 36, and I have to tell you, she absolutely would qualify to join my harem as an honorary member. Needs a little bit more up top, a little more rackage and stackage, but very attractive. 36. Well, she has apologized because on Saturday in Helsinki, she went out clubbing. We're going to the club, baby. We're going to the club, in the VIP, in a club. Her foreign minister tested positive for the Wuhan virus, and of course, everybody's their contact tracing there. Apparently in Finland, and so what happens? She actually goes out to the club till I think I don't know three or four a.m. Having a good time. Hey, she's thirty-six. Why not? Witnesses said she stayed at uh, the Butcher's Club, which is a you know big dance club till four a.m. Hey, why not? Have fun. She's hot. She's thirty-six. One problem: she didn't bring her phone. So as soon as it was detected that her foreign minister tested positive and she was a close contact. They tried to text her and tell her she's got a quarantine. But she didn't have her phone. She left it at home because she went to the club in the VIP. Now let me ask you a question. Are you telling me that the prime minister of Finland has no security or people around her that have a phone that can say, hey, uh, Madam Prime Minister, you got an urgent call here. You tested positive for the Wuhan virus. No, no, no. She's going to go to the club. Uh, leave her phone at home. She initially was told she didn't need to isolate because she was vaccinated, but she missed the text advising her to do so. So critics going after her judgment for not isolating until testing negative. Now remember, the hypocrisy runs deep and runs wide. It's okay for them to go to the club. And it's okay for them not to isolate. It's okay for them to not mask up. But everyone else, you got to mask, you got to isolate. No, you can't live your life. The hypocrisy is absurd. Enough of the mask mandates, enough of the vax mandates. Next week I'll probably do a special bold alpha. A lot of information now coming out about that vaccine in terms of number of miscarriages with women. Now in Israel they're going to a fourth vaccine. No thanks. No boosters for me. I'll do a special Bold Alpha next week all about the Wuhan virus. It's been a while, a lot of new information that's come up. So make sure that you subscribe to our brother podcast, Bold Alpha. Just do a search wherever you get your podcast. And by the way, make sure you subscribe to the Cigar Dave Show and give us a five star rating. Cigar Dave, the general saying Mayor humidor always be full, Mayor Cutter always be sharp, Mayor Ashby extra, extra long, semper delectatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Live it up and go build. Whack the Buccaneers.